Dan Barr. Hey, Karen Devaney. We need a promo. Oh, what's a promo? You know, like where we talk about what we do on our podcast. On our sugar-coated murder podcast? That's the one. Like how we love to bake and talk about murder? Two of our favorite things. Yes. Yes, that's what we need to talk about. There you go. I think we've talked about it. Is that our promo? It could be our promo. I think that's a great promo. I do too. And we don't have enough time to drop the F-bomb and say sorry, mama. <gasps> True that. Perfect. There's our promo. Promo done. Y'all find us on all your favorite listening apps. Stay sweet. And don't murder. Because if you kill people, we will talk about you. Bye, Bye. now. Episode of See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And we have lots of updates after Thanksgiving. Yeah. How we is, got a, we, we've got a lot of housekeeping. Have stuff a lot. Too. Yes, absolutely. Well, first off, how was your Thanksgiving? It was a fucking shit show, girl. <laughs> it's like new holiday, new drama. Yeah. No, I don't want to talk about it. No, we're not going to. Mm-mm. Let's just say your family is a mess. Yeah. You're fa- not the family you were, you were part of, your mom and dad. Not the family I created, the family Correct. that created me. Yes, it's a good way to put that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I got some shout outs. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do it. So, we got Selena... Our friend Selena, Hi, Selena from TikTok, who is now Selena, also from Patreon. Yes, so thank you so much for subscribing. We also have another Patreon subscriber. I'm totally stoked about this one. Um, her name is, we're just going to call her Miss C because we don't know. Right, how public they want to be. But she's doing, if you believe in the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. She works at the post office. Oh, God. In thank- December. Which, hot mess. Well, even just dropping off your packages there is a hot mess. Can you imagine working there? No. No, that'd be the worst time of year to work there. Yes. So thank you so much for subscribing and listening to us. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate the work that you're doing. You have no idea. (laughs) So thank you for getting us our packages and sending out our packages. Yes. Like I said, you're doing the work. Yeah, seriously. And for those that don't know... Um, we're a true crime comedy podcast. Hi, for any new listeners. Yes. And we cuss a fuck ton and we say cunt. So again, um, this is your warning to get out now if this is not your Jump vibe. ship, jump ship. Bail, bail, Leave. bail. Leave us. Get on the lifeboat. Yep. And that's okay. Women and children first. Exactly. And you Jack could have fit on the thing. Jack could have totally fit on the door. I'm glad we've, we're both on the same page yes. on that one. And we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon and we're doing an exclusive series on... The Duggars. Yup. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Amanda is obsessed with the Duggars. And I get so angry, y'all. Y'all think you've heard me get angry? (laughs) Go drop $5 in the bucket and hear me get angry. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of feelings and emotions. So it's so funny because, like, with the Duggars series, there's a couple things that come to light. First of all, Amanda gets really angry, which I think is hilarious. Because it's like, like, I can't believe they're doing this. Kind of anger. And then I'm over here like, holy shit, my family did that. Like, 
deconstructing my Christian. We have to call her therapist by Zoom immediately after we hit stop. (laughs) Well, I'm still pissed off. And I'm like, just talk to her. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much here. I do find it funny, though, because like on the first couple of episodes, I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally. And you're like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's (laughs) just what you am I wrong in this? You don't do that? Like I myself have had to take a step back. So it's been therapeutic. (laughs) I just I guess (laughs) I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. And it makes me angry that people live like that or force their children to live like that. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely interesting. And by no means are we saying that you can't believe what you want to believe. Oh, no. We don't give you a should, shit. You do you, boo. Yeah. But I need you to explain it to me. Yeah, we just want to know. And the other thing is, is like, don't oppress other people with your views. That's a big thing yeah, in yeah, general yeah. that yeah. we just don't really vibe with. Don't make me have to do it. Right. Exactly. So, hey, we have a Patreon. So go check us out there. Patreon, C podcast, C-E-E. Um, we have lovely stickers. Oh, yes. They're amazing. I love them. Yeah, they're really cute. I like the knife one. Yeah, that's Because we couldn't help ourselves. That's my favorite. It's really great. It's a good one. Mm. Um, and what else? Oh, circling back to the post office, we got a package in our P.O. Box, our first one ever. Do you want to say who sent it to us? Yes. Our friend Dawn. We talk about her a lot. Yes. So we're going to open it. It's an amazing listener. First of all, let me describe this to you. Yeah. Um, on the USPS label, mm-hmm. in permanent marker. So I don't know who wrote this. Because the other thing that she said, and I'm going to give a little bit away, is she said it was from Amazon. <laughs> so this even creates more of a level of what the fuck, right? Was it Amazon? Was know. it the post office? Was it the delivery person? Because... I don't, well, no, it went to the P.O. box, so it was the post office. It'd be the post office, yeah. In permanent marker, on the bottom of the label stuck to the package, it says, it's the number two, the letter C, says words, and a happy face. So two C words, happy face. (laughs) I am in love. Whoever did that, if if you are listening, thank you. That just honestly, before opening it. I love that so much. (laughs) And let me tell you how much I love even more. So we knew this was coming because yeah. um, Dawn let us know. She's chill like that. Um, I don't get off work in time to stop at the post office and check the P.O. box before it closes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made my husband go check the P.O. box. But right now, um, the post office that our P.O. box is at. Uh-huh is under construction so we can't get to the actual box and we have to go to the half door thing and say um i need to check box number 472 and sometimes not all the time but sometimes they'll say what's the name on the box Mm -hmm. so if they asked my husband what the name on the box was he had to say see you next tuesday (laughs) (laughs) i freaking love it that is Freaking great. So, and by the way, if you're interested in sending us anything, we have a post office box. We don't really have it posted anywhere, but, you know, because we're just like, okay. We we never actually expected anybody to send us anything. No. So this is amazing, first yeah. of all. But then the fact that somebody hand wrote in permanent marker oh on the God. bottom of the label, two C words and a happy face. I'm in love with it. 
I am here for it. And I, I'm by no means do I count the C word as like a derogatory term for myself. I found now it's kind of like a hell yes. I'm the fucking cunt. Like, let's go. I mean, absolutely. I'm pretty sure I get called a cunt at least 10 times a day at work. So behind my back. Yeah, well, that's their loss. They, they don't choose to get to know you like I do. And then they would find that I'm still a cunt, but I'd be a lovable cunt. <laughs> okay, so we're opening it. She just opened up the drawer. It's got scissors. I had to get scissors. Sorry. I'm narrating. What's happening? What did you say? <gasps> <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. God. Give me. Give oh, me. My God. Oh, my God. This is the best Holy shit. Ever. Okay, y'all. Let me... Please, I, I will I, post this I'm on speechless. social media. This is the best. So they're koozies. Oh my god! What does yours say? This one has the a big letter D on it, and in the middle it says she wants the she wants the, the D. D. And this one says, "Cunt, you're welcome." <laughs> John, you oh, nailed it. Oh wait, there's more in there. What? Oh my god! Oh, there's two. Oh my god! Hold on. How many are in yours? One. Just what? Oh my god! Hold on. Opening. Oh, oh. shit! Ah! There's oh. one for both of us. Hell oh yes! Oh my gosh! Thank you, Dawn. Thank you, Dawn. These are amazing. Happy holidays, girl. Happy holidays. And everyone else out there, happy holidays. Yes. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Oh, and happy any other holiday that we don't know about yet. Yes. Let us know. Let us know. I love learning about new oh. holiday. I'm a 100% holiday fiend. Are you kidding? So if you, I love the holiday season. All holidays. They're my favorite. Super fun. This is great. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love this. All we need now is a bottle of wine. And just like stick this motherfucker. Yes. Oh, this is great. Or, oh my God, you're going to hate me. Huh. Because I'm too old for this and not whatever. I love Topo Chico hard seltzers. Okay, yeah. And again, not an ad. But yeah, the one we had last time was really good. Because I I mean, because I've tried some other seltzers. Because, you know, you go to a party and they're there. Whatever. But the Topo Chico ones are kind of I've never had white claw. You haven't had the claw? No. You haven't have a hot girl summer with with the claw? No, I refuse to buy it. But I've tried other ones. But Mm -hmm. Topo Chico is my favorite. It's good. Mm-hmm. So heads up, if you haven't tried the Topo version, we're big Topo fans. I mean, being in Texas and shit, like it's kind yeah. of like everywhere. <gasps> it's water and Topo, period. You know yeah. what? I want Topo to sponsor us, the seltzer or the plain water. Uh, please. And then my next sponsor, they're my, God, it's kind of a time out between them and the other one I texted you. Yes. But Topo would not be. Hi, Coca-Cola organization who now owns Topo Chico. Please hit us up. We love y'all. Or RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> yes. If RuPaul and or any ladies are listening to this right um, now. You know who my favorite is? Aly- Alyssa Edwards. Hmm? She had a um, Netflix show about the dance studio she owns. And of course I watched it. And of course it's amazing. Oh my God. So I am very behind on my RuPaul. I know. It's a sin. Girl, it's on Hulu. It's I started watching it from the it's from season... The they don't have season one, but they have season two. I'm now on season four. Okay, yeah. I need to finish because I started it and then I got like distracted by a whole bunch of other, you know, shows and Netflix's true crime shit has blown up. So I've been like absorbed. I've been like watching everything. But yeah, it's uh, 
I'm gonna have to catch up. Yeah, it's on Hulu starting with season two. I went season two, three, I'm on four right now. Speaking of updates on shows that we're watching, I did my homework and I watched The Only Murders in the Building. <gasps> How much do you love that? I love that. I love it. I, I mean, told you it was I great. fucking love it. I love, I've always loved Martin Short, first of all. He's mm-hmm. phenomenal, obviously. And then, of course, Steve is incredible. Like, I mean, those two together are just... And then... And uh, Selena? Selena? Coming out of nowhere. Coming out of left field. I'm not going to lie. I was very impressed. Okay, first of all, I love her. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm too old to love her, but I do. Her TikToks are fucking hilarious. Yeah, I, I saw one of hers. I was um, like, oh my God. But who would have thought to put those three together? It's genius. It, it, it truly is like... The 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 stylizing of it, the pacing of it's perfect, the narration's perfect, the the lines like that they gave Martin Short versus Steve like are perfect. Like it just it, it her she fits in perfect. It, she really does. She kind of brings it into like the now, I guess, because these two guys are old farts and they kind of always kind of say that, which is great. It is amazing. I love it. I told you. And the other thing is, is like they got a lot of the weird podcast shit very, very right. Like as in um, Teen Faze character. Yes. I'm not going to give too much away because you haven't seen it on Hulu. Again, not an ad. We, it is a really funny show. So if you're into like murder and stuff and you just want kind of like a break from like the seriousness of like the documentaries and shit. Yeah, I love it because it's so cute, so funny, so quirky. And those three together, you would never in your head put them together, but it is genius. I loved it. I totally agree. It was so much fun. I also have one more recommendation. It's true crime adjacent. It's not murder or anything, but it's a a documentary that's been on Netflix for a minute, and I've had it in my queue. It's called Shiny Flakes. It's called um, The Teenage Drug Lord. Yeah, I may have seen it. I don't know. It's. Very interesting. And here's why I think it's very interesting is because it's um, it's a German, first of all, so it's mm-hmm. subtitles. So heads up, if you don't like subtitles, you can do dub or whatever. But um, I will give one thing away. The kid is a sociopath narcissist, a thousand percent. And if you've ever wanted to see them in the wild trying to interact with humans, like as a human and try to like have human emotions, watch that documentary because- okay. I was like sitting there because, you know, we cover a lot of murderers who are like that. Narcissists or sociopaths. So it's weird to see one in the wild and then in a documentary form where you're like, this person has no, there's nothing there. Yeah. You are a shell and you're just like trying to go, this is, this is the human thing to do in this moment. So I'm going to do the human thing, even though I myself am not doing the thing. It's so creepy. So I'm going to recommend it for that alone. Just like the, like little bit of research into what it looks like. It's fascinating. Yeah. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, because I just watched the updated season of Selling Sunset. Uh, yeah, I saw that come out. A lot of people are into that. Like, I'm kind of like, eh, on, on those shows because like, it pisses me off how these people have this much money to buy houses. So It makes me very mad. Okay, so <laughs> first of all, it's more about the realtors mm-hmm. than the houses. But the houses are absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. <coughs> um, but I love like architecture, mm. homes, things like that. And it doesn't piss me off because I look at it and I see how gorgeous it is. I see like 
the views. I see all of that stuff and I go, yeah, I can see why that's $3 million. Oh yeah. No, that, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I get that. No. And I can appreciate that too. Like there's definitely some homes where you're like, oh my God, that's freaking gorgeous. Like who wouldn't want this house? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I love that. And I love trashy reality shows with the drama. The drama. I love the you're, drama. You're all about Bravo TV in other words. Bravo is your shit. Yes. I mean, I love Below Deck. I love Below Deck Mediterranean. Uh, Real Housewives. Oh, my God. Do I even need to say anything? I only, watched, I only watched Orange County. Me too. The original one. Me too. And it just started on the first, and I forgot, and I didn't watch it, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it on demand. Yeah, so I, I was the same way. I watched the full season of OC, the OG, first I, season, all the way back there, and then I watched Atlanta. Atlanta was very good, too. I only watched, I've seen every single. Well, in New York. I watched some New York. I've seen every single episode of OC. Mm-hmm. Have not seen any of the other ones. I tried to watch Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, th- there was a Salt Lake? I know there was a Dallas with some people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, pass. <laughs> Moving on. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was new. Um couple of seasons ago and i don't know if it like took off or not okay and yeah it was weird because some of them were mormons and they're not supposed to drink but yeah i think some of them still had like champagne because i guess champagne is like an exception i don't know that's really weird you know when you're bougie right and i will say i'm not caught up on any of them like because people are like oh my god did you see the latest season with new york and i'm like no 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 but i sorry i only watch oc but yeah i love bravo i love Oh, TLC. Dude, it's not the learning channel. It's no. the fucking like reality show channel. Let's yes. be real. Yes. Okay. I mean, they've had some awesome ones. Like, I love Toddlers and Tiras. Okay, I remember on Dance Moms. Oh, fuck yes. Because you are one. I mean, not like that. I was not like that. But you are a Dance Mom. Yes. So you were like, oh, girl. I mean, yes. I still am a Dance Mom. Oh, you technically, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's still dancing. Still dancing. Still dancing. Me too. I need to go see her. But she coming home. She, my kids were just home and then they go went back to school for like last week and this week and then they're going to be back for like a month. How do you feel about them being home for a month? Girl, oh my God. I, oh, I have a story about them being home for Thanksgiving. Okay, go. I intentionally did not tell you this. So I know my kids drink. My kids are 18. My kids are in college. I know they drink. I don't condone it. Of course not. But I know they do it. So when I know that they're going to be doing it, I tell them to Uber or stay where they're at. Um, I offer to pay their Uber bills. Right. Like, just be safe. Because if I know they're doing it, I'm going to tell them to be safe. Because I know if I tell them not to do it, right, they're going to do it anyways. And then if they do get in trouble, they're not going to call me. This way, if I I can make sure they're being safe, and if they do, God forbid, get in trouble, they'll call me, or, you know, at least I, you know. Yeah, you know that they're okay. Right, exactly. So Wednesday night, my son gets home, and I'm prepping in the kitchen, and... um, This is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? Yeah. Got it. And so I'm, like, prepping something in the kitchen, and um, he says... Hey, pod twin, can you come help me? And they go outside. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I know something's up. Mm-hmm. 
And then he comes back in the house carrying two cases of beer. And I'm like, the fuck? fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I did. I'm pretty sure I said, the fuck? I said, what the fuck? I go, what the fuck do you think you're doing? I'm like, "What, what, what is this? I go, I know your grandparents are coming over tomorrow, but you ain't drinking in my house. Yeah. And um, I go, where did you get that? He goes, one of my friends bought it for me. I go, really? I said, or do you have fake ID? Let me see it. Do you have fake ID? Oh, you went full in. <laughs> I went full fucking crazy. And he's like, no, look, I don't have fake ID. He's like, one of my friends bought it for me. And I'm like, okay, now stop. Why do you have beer? I'm like, why, why are you bringing this in my house? And he was like, well, I don't want to leave it in my car overnight. And we're going to so-and-so's house Friday night. Um, they're friends from high school, like the real tight right. group of friends. Yeah. They were getting together at a friend's house Friday night. And he was in charge of bringing the beer. And the friend's house, their parents were going to be there. And their parents, they were drinking and they were all staying there. Right. It was like, a, hey, we all know this is happening this is where we are. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, and he's like, and I just don't want to leave it in my car. I was like, fine, put it over there. I don't have room in my fridge for your beer. Right. Oh my God. But the, honestly, the fact that he, you have made a space to where they feel comfortable enough to tell, <laughs> tell you that and like bring that in the house. And he thought it was going to be heavier than it was. So he was going to make his sister help him bring it in. And she was like, I don't want to carry that in the house. Cause yeah. she wanted to be the good one. Oh, yeah. She's like, I want to be the good kid. Like, I at least want to have the appearance of being the good kid. Right? So then Pod husband, he says, he asked um, Pod's daughter, and he goes, well, are you going to be drinking too? And she was like, no. Aw. She's like trying to be shy about it. Like, no, I guess so. Oh, that's really cute. That's hilarious. But they had the party, and everything's good, obviously. Yeah. 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 They stayed there. Nobody drove. Smart. But that's hilarious. All of a sudden you're like, wait, what? How old are y'all? How old are y'all? You know what I mean? Like, when did it become this? Damn. I mean. I'm going to, yeah. I nobody their, calls CPS on me. I remember their fourth birthday. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I, that makes me feel very, very old. But I do remember that. Nobody calls CPS on me. No. Nah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there that this is a very, like, this is how we handle the situation. So I don't think you're alone on that. I mean, they're 18. Right. And honestly, like, let's be real. Everybody in fucking college drank. I drank. I mean, like, who didn't drink in college underage? Like, everybody did. Everybody did. And if you don't, congratulations. But most of us do. So that's pretty great. <laughs> I better not have the police knocking yeah, on my right? door. Like, oh, God dang it. <laughs> you're fine. Um, but since we are in December with the holidays coming up and everything, that's... Uh, there's a lot of planning going on, right? You got to get all that stuff ordered and everything. Christmas gifts. I showed you my Christmas closet. That's yep. a, that's everything. Yep. It's done. I'm proud of you for getting it done early, especially with the, like, you know, people saying, hey, the shipment might take a little bit longer. Although I will say this. They say that, but man, I've gotten some packages that were like, oh, it's going to take like seven to ten days. I got them in like three. And I was like, wow, who is on their game? I ordered some stuff off Etsy. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, if you want a gift that is different, like you're like, okay, you know what? I want to get so and so this, like 
I'm giving somebody like a throw blanket. Like you can go on Amazon and get a throw blanket, but if you want to get something different, hit up Etsy, y'all. Absolutely. And I, so I got some stuff that came from other countries. I'm talking less than a week. That's crazy. So yes and no with the supply chain crap that they're saying. Like, honestly, it's like a real hit or miss. Like some stuff, yeah, has taken a minute longer. And again, I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm kind of know that. But you're right. Like I did the same thing. I had some gifts off Etsy too because I was like, you know what? I'm going to support people with small businesses that just trying to like, hey, I just want to put my stuff out there. Because like, you know. Well, and I think the difference is Etsy is like an individual sending it to an individual. It's not going to be on those large barges. That's true. It's going to be on like the USPS plane. Right. Or Or the the UPS plane. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. So, yeah, I was like shocked when I got it in the mail. I was like, I already bought the blanket from Turkey. (laughs) Like, how is this possible? I'm like, yay. (laughs) I'm excited. Well, hopefully, hopefully y'all are also Christmas shopping right now or holiday shopping because. Yeah, it's going to get crazy the longer you wait. I'm normally one of those people that forgets and waits to the last minute. And this year I was like, no, you got to get it done. You got to get it done. So, but so yeah. Okay, so I promised our pod besties over at Talkin' Literature that we won't make them cry for the rest of the year. Oh, did we make them cry the last episode? Yeah, so last episode was very vulnerable and emotional for both of us, obviously. Yeah, I, I didn't one. want to talk about last episode. I was yeah. just trying to get into this episode. Okay, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> I'm pretending that episode didn't happen. Fair enough, because we don't we don't want to talk about emotions, right? I don't do emotions. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, in the, I promised her straight moda. Moida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I love how you said that. Okay. Um, this Take me time. There. So I've got murder and murder and murder and murder. Is it an SP episode? Or is it just straight up? It's straight murder. Straight up. Okay. Well, if I feel I need to SP you, I'll SP you. Fair enough. Okay. Take me there. I'm excited. So November 4th, 1905. Ooh, we're going back. Going back, back, back. In Blue Mountain, Aniston, Alabama. Okay. So that's like... Bama. The South. Mm -hmm. The South. Mm -hmm. (laughs) James F. Hazel and Louisa Holder gave birth to a sweet little bouncing baby girl they named Nancy Hazel. Nancy had four siblings, and James would not allow his children to attend school, but made them serve as farm hands on the family farm. James was controlling, and um, Nancy and her mother, they actually hated James. Um, James was uh, also allegedly abusive and probably not Nancy's biological father. Oh. I said allegedly, right? Uh, yes. You s- okay, so. Uh, allegedly. Got it, got it. Got allegedly it. abusive and allegedly probably not her biological father. Gotcha. Before I go on, uh, let me tell you what Nancy went by. Nancy went by Nanny. I'm telling you the story of Nanny Doss. <gasps> Nanny Doss, dude. Okay. If you don't know who Nanny <gasps> Doss is. Shit. She also became known as the Giggling Granny, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Black Widow, the Jolly Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. Okay. I am so glad you're doing her. I've circled around this for a minute and I've seen her on many lists. So let's do it. Okay. I'm excited. 
Here you go, Liz. Straight murder. Murder. <laughs> oh my god. So when Nanny was seven, she got on a train to go to Alabama where she had relatives. Mm-hmm. Um and while on the train, the train stopped suddenly and she hit her head on a metal bar that ran on the seat opposite her. Okay. Because, you know, I'm sure trains did not have seat belts back in the day. No. And so, um, Following her head trauma, she had bouts of depression, headaches, and blackouts. So we've already got abusive, allegedly, family members. Now we've got number two, head trauma. Check. Check, check, and check. Got it. So Nanny grew up reading her mom's romance novels and loved the Lonely Hearts column in, you know, the newspapers, in the the magazines. Mm -hmm. This made Nanny wish for a fairy tale future. Let's get real. All little girls want the fairy tale future. We, we all kind of do. That's whether why it, we have a Ken and a Barbie. Yeah. Whether it's with and a man, a woman, we just want to be you know. fairy tale. Yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? That's why we have the dream houses and the Barbie camper and the Barbie convertible and mm-hmm. the Barbie jacuzzi. And Skipper. We all know Skipper was Barbie's daughter. Oh, is this the tea? Is this the tea I missed? I always knew Skipper was Barbie's daughter from her teenage pregnancy with Ken. Oh my God, there's so much there. We'll have to delve into Barbie's like sordid past in another podcast episode. You didn't know that? No, because I thought the baby was her baby. Because remember, she had a baby too. Oh, the creepy ass pregnant Barbie? Yeah, when she had the baby. Well, yes, but Skipper was from teen pregnancy. How old is Barbie? Hello, she's been around since... No, I don't mean, like, literally. I mean, like, how old is Barbie allegedly? You know, like, if she was aged. Like, oh, Barbie's 18 or whatever. I don't know. Skipper's her daughter. Am I the only one that makes up stories like this? No, I was just trying to think, like, is is this a thing? You do know when I go to restaurants and make up stories about people I see at other tables. Oh, same. We did this once. Oh, yeah, at the bar with the cup. Yeah, that was great. Well, damn, I'm going to need to Google and spill tea. I need someone to spill the tea on Skipper for me because, yeah. I bet there's a Barbie Reddit. There has to be. Continue. Okay. (laughs) I don't even know where I was. Um, Um, Fairy tale wedding. Fairy tale. Fairy tale. Head injury. Okay. So James tried to forbid Nanny and her sisters from wearing makeup, attractive clothes. That do you doesn't wanna work. Know, do you want to know why? Because Satan and Jesus? No. Oh. No. Because he was afraid of them being molested. But the girls would sometimes do it anyways. Okay. Let me read to you what I wrote. And you know what I'm going to start doing? Huh. Um, I'm going to start at the top of my page where I'm typing... This episode is brought to you by whatever I'm drinking at the time because sometimes I type things and I'm like, (laughs) and now I'll know why I typed it. Okay. I I said, okay, this is really fucking weird forbidding them from wearing makeup and nice clothes because he was afraid they would be molested. It kind of sounds like he was probably the... One of the sleazy men who molested women or girls because they were pretty. That fucking man cunt. <laughs> That's what I typed. You know, I mean, honestly, I don't, I, I could see that. And, and again, it's the victim blaming. It's a, you need to look a certain way so men don't, how about men don't 
don't do that. How about that? Mm, weird. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's the, what's the early 1900s? What are we, 1920, 1930? Probably by this time. I mean, she had to be a teenager by this time. Yeah. And, and even today, that still exists. So, of course, it's going to be worse back then, which just probably wasn't an acceptable back then to do to your daughters. Don't wear this. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah. Like, that way you're not, you know, in the running to be a part of that. Yeah. Got it. The fact I typed fucking man cunt. <laughs> I do like man cunt now, though. That's that's kind of great. Okay, you you want to know why it's great? Hmm. January 1st, we're going to man cunt. This is true. We'll tell you more on the next episode, but keep going. Yeah. 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 Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> um, and he didn't let them go to dances or other social events, even church function- functions. Of course he fucking didn't. Like interesting. You would think church functions at least. I mean, right? Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. He was so afraid they were gonna be molested, that's what happened. Okay. Fucking well, fucking man. So when Nanny was 16, she married Charlie Braggs after only knowing him for four months. Of course she did. She went the fuck out. That's, I mean, and it makes sense. I would have done the exact same thing to yeah. GTFO out of James's house. Yep, 100%. So Nanny and Charlie, um, they actually worked together at the Linen Thread Company in Anniston, and that's how they met. Mm-hmm. And once they were married, Charlie's mom insisted on living with them because he was her only son and she was unmarried. Um, Nanny was kind of forced to accept it, and I would like to say about that. Yeah, that sounds awful. I don't care how close you are to your mom. I'd be like, look, then she can live in the house a couple doors down, but she's yeah, not living yeah. with us. I mean, my mother-in-law caused enough problems and she didn't even live with us. So right. no thanks. <laughs> that would be like cause for an enrollment. Like Yeah, for real. If this is part of the deal, no thank you. So, and honestly, that's what she should have done because Charlie's mom was. interesting yes all (laughs) so most of charlie's time was taken up by his dear old mommy dearest so we're talking straight up mama's boy to the point where it's like toxic Mm -hmm. Ooh. so even though charlie spent most of his time with you know his mommy him and nanny managed to have four daughters between 1921 and 1927 i don't know how you can do that with mom in the house. I guess you gotta be really sneaky. Real quiet. No, he was probably just like, mom, I'll be right back. Give me two minutes. <laughs> two minutes? He might, you know, he might be, yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, Charlie actually was a good father, but him and Nanny's relationship wasn't good. And so Nanny was dealing with continuous anxiety, and so she started self-medicating with Alcohol. There it is, number three. Now we're adding a, 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 some sort of substance into the mix. So we got yes. trauma, we got alleged abuse, and now we have substances. Yes. Phenomenal. And she also, her casual cigarette smoking turned into, you know, her heavy chain smoking. Right, of course. Um. So Charlie and Nanny were both unhappy. They expected both to be cheating. She expected, she um, suspected him of cheating. Oh. She suspected 
suspected her of cheating. They were both right because they were both cheating on each other. <laughs> Again, you are 16 years old when you get married. Okay, like the the, the idea that you're mature enough for that alone no and then the fact that you're allegedly only going to be with one person come on like again this those are normally the times when you experiment you find out what you like you find out what you like sexually you find out uh, you kind of blossom into your sexuality yeah like there's all these things so so i can't really fault them they're 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 children really yes yes they are so yeah i mean charlie didn't hide his cheating he would often be gone for days so i mean like They both knew it. Yeah, it wasn't like a big secret. So in 1927, Nanny and Charlie's two middle daughters, both both passed away within a few months of each other. Oh, no. In a statement, Charlie said he left for work and they seemed to be healthy, but they were crying. Um, And when he was... did something weird um and when he was leaving they died in convulsions soon after eating breakfast oh no nanny didn't have a reasonable explanation but it's a theory that nanny poisoned the girls um both girls deaths were ruled accidental or were ruled accidental and were suspected food poisoning uh you can die from food poisoning, right? Well, back in 1927, yes. I mean, because, like, if it's bad enough, you just are so dehydrated because nothing's staying in your body mm-hmm. that you just kind of... And, and they were young. Yeah, okay. The girls were fine when he left the house, and then... All of a sudden, they weren't. Yes. Okay, that's all we know at this... And, again, this is alleged, right? We yeah. don't really know if no. she had anything to do with... Right, right. Got it. So, Charlie was anonymously warned not to eat anything his wife prepared. And once that happened, he left her with their oldest daughter, but left his youngest daughter behind. What What the fuck, Charlie? Seriously, take them both. Yeah, if you're already, like, suspecting your wife, or well, somebody's, like, allegedly telling you, like, like, on the side, like, hey, by the way, don't eat anything your wife eats or, or prepares for you. Why would you leave any of your children in that situation? That's really weird. I will say this, though, for a man back in the day, right, taking care of children because it wasn't in their wheelhouse as much as men nowadays have it in their wheelhouse, which, thank you, men. Um, Like, it was probably one of those, like, convenience things or, like, I don't know how to take care of a younger person versus an older person. That's what I'm guessing. I think Charlie's just fucking crazy. Well, that's probably true, too. So, in the summer of 1928, Charlie came back with a new lady and her child. He divorced Nanny, and Nanny took both her daughters and moved in with her mother. Okay. Fuck you, Charlie. You gave your daughter back to her because you had a new woman and a new baby. You're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, well. You're the cunt, Charlie. (laughs) We all know Nanny's the cunt. I was like, is he? I totally get himself out of a situation that I I, I can't even I can't right. even pretend like we don't know who the cunt yeah. is in this situation. We're, like if, if the name Nanny Doss doesn't already kind of like ring a bell and you're like, hmm, then I, I already told you what everybody called her. True. Yeah. The bluebeard one is my favorite though. I you have to get more into this at the end. I, <laughs> so a year later, Nanny met 
Robert Franklin Carlson, who went by Frank through the Lonely Hearts newspaper column. We've got a trend going here with these Lonely Hearts people. Chisako was the same, if you remember. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah. I didn't realize I did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> and then I tweeted. I wrote, y'all, if you didn't see you're meeting someone through a Lonely Hearts column, I don't know if I can be friends with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wait, wait, wait. Lonely Hearts, she's, what, in her 20s? So this would be the equivalent of like Tinder or Bumble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. It, you're yeah. right. You're right. I'm thinking because nowadays Lonely Hearts is like, I'm 55 and I can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's like um, Craigslist. Ugh. Uh-uh. Could you imagine? Well, actually there was for a long time. Yes. That's what I was talking about. Like man. Man looking for man. Yeah. Man looking for woman. Yeah. I'm glad they took that down because you have, were you ever on there? It Just was, out of curiosity? I was never, I never posted on there. I no, read no, no, no. it. I read it because it was fucking entertaining. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, we ever like scroll through it and you're like, holy shit, this is crazy. I love to read it. I love to read the um, ones that was looking for someone that I had run into. Like, oh, those are cool. Yeah. Like, hey, I saw you at the grocery store. You were yeah, wearing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and also the other thing is, is like on that forum, you used to be able to go on there and it wouldn't be maybe a minute until it was like unsolicited dick pic, like within a minute. Completely. Like I never for saw, some reason. I never saw them. Really? Yeah. It must, I would must've been on there way before you were. Oh, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Cause by the time I got on there right before it shut down, it was literally like unsolicited dick pic, unsolicited dick pic. And you're like, oh, this is awful. Oh yeah. I, I. I would read those years ago. Like, okay. Yeah. Like way before. Yeah. So she was on the, the the Craigslist version back in the day. Yes. Lonely Hearts. Yes. Okay. So Frank properly courted her and not in the weird Duggar way, but in the, it was the 1920s and that's what they did away. Right. So he would send her poetry and she would write him passionate letters. She also sent him a cake and a photo of herself. That's Because that's like. I mean, yes, that's I don't, cute. I don't. A cake and a photo. Was it like one of those photo cakes that we have nowadays? Probably not. <laughs> if it was the 30s, it was probably like, I made you a cake and here's a photo of me. So Frank lived in Jacksonville, Florida. So this was like a long distance situation. Um, and Nanny was a year older than Frank, but that didn't bother her. She'd be a cooler and get that because um, they got married a year later mm. or later that year. And I'm not even going to try to trick you. It's not a happy marriage. Um, It had its problems from the beginning. Frank was an alcoholic and had a violent temper, as did Charlie. Um, Nanny didn't leave, though she stayed, and the marriage lasted 16 years. Wow. That's actually, I was actually thinking we're going to be rolling through a lot more husbands between now and then. But damn, 16 years? Yeah. Okay. So Melvina, Nanny's daughter... Um, she was grown by now and married. Melvina. Damn. She did not do her any favors with the name. No. Oh, I'm sorry, hon. If you're still out there, sorry. I mean. Although she could go by Mel. That's actually a cute name. Yeah. And lines, it, it's short for Melanie. Right. Seriously. Wow. 
1945, Malvina had just given birth to her second child, a little girl. Um, and she was groggy from the ether. They gave her and tired from labor because, you know, back in, then you didn't have it as easy as you do now. Nope. Um, shit pothole hit that button twice. Um, but even though she was groggy and tired from labor, she thought she saw Nanny kill her daughter by sticking a hairpin into her daughter's head. Oh my God. Later, Melvina was talking to her husband and her sister, Florine, who told her that Nanny had told them that the little girl had passed away while she had a hairpin in her hand. After the accident, Melvina and her husband drifted apart and eventually separated. Melvina started dating a soldier who Nanny didn't like, and for some reason, Nanny took a $500 insurance policy out on her grandson, Robert. That would be $7,619.72 in today's money. We all know the reason, and I'm not trying to be... Yeah. In denial about what's about to happen. Yeah. No, wait. Okay. So real quick question. Okay. So Melvina had a, was in the hospital, had a baby. I don't think it was in the hospital. I think it was at home. Oh, and though she, so when she was all groggy, she thought she saw her mom hurt her, kill her baby. Uh-huh. And then, but she also has another, Melvina also has another son uh-huh. named, named Robert. This is their second kid. So the daughter was her second child. Okay. Got it. Okay. Robert is her First, first child. child. Got mm-hmm. it. Got He's it. older. Makes sense. So, um, Melvina and Nanny got into an argument, and Melvina went to go stay with her father. And unfortunately, Melvina left Robert with Nanny oh when she went to go stay with Robert. And on July 7th, 1945, Robert passed away from asphyxiation. And two months after his death, Nanny cashed in the insurance policy on Robert. No. Melvina, trust your gut, girl. Trust your gut. Take that baby with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure it was one of those things like, nah, my mom would never do that. You know, right? Why would you want to believe that? Yeah. Why would that be your first thought? But holy shit, if you already had that, like, I think I saw my mom do this thing. I mean, you had ether. You'd just given birth. Like, you think you... Not hallucinated, but probably it was drug-induced. Maybe, yeah. You just probably thought your mom was leaning over the baby. You know what I mean? But if the baby is then dead after. Well, you know, in the 1940s, they probably thought it was like, what they call it then? Crib death? Which was really sick. You know what I mean? Yeah, infant mortality rate was much higher. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm trust not me, Mel. I'm not defending anyone. No, no, no. And I'm not blaming Mel either because like, but also like, it's just such a different mentality because also yeah. we have a lot more access to information. And yeah. if that were us, it'd be like, absolutely not. Well, today. Right. But in those times, probably not. Sure. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a good point. So don't forget, Nanny was married during this time and it was 1945 and World War II had just ended. America was mm. in full celebration. Yeah. And Nanny's husband, Frank, was no exception. And remember, he liked his booze. So one night he came home completely wasted. Ship hot hole hit the button and he raped Nanny. Oh, no. So the next day, a funny thing happened. Hmm. Nanny was tending to her roses and she just happened to find his corn whiskey jar buried. I mean, what are the odds? So strange. 
Or did she just happen to find fortuitous? Just oops. There, there it is. So she did what any normal person would do. Poison that motherfucker. She put rat poison in his whiskey. Absolutely. Y'all, murder's never the answer. No. However, I will say this. I get where her head was at after what happened to her. I am not excusing murder by any means. No. But if that happened, I get why she was like, you know what? Nope. Never again. You know? Murder's never the answer. Never. Murder's never the answer. Murder's never the answer. So that evening, Frank died in a very excruciating death. Hmm. People assumed he died of food poisoning. (sighs) Is food poisoning that cold? To where everyone's just like, eh, food poisoning. You know how it is. It's just running rampant. We're just going to have food poisoning. You know how it is. Manny collected enough insurance money to buy some land and a house near Jacksonville. Okay. Setting herself up. Got Mm -hmm. it. So Nanny did what any normal person would do, and she hit up the local Lonely Hearts column and met Arlie Lanning. The two lovebirds got married three days later. Three? Three days? Three days. I, they obviously didn't have that waiting period with marriage licenses back then. I think it was just the blood test and then just let's get her done, I guess. Right? Because the blood test did happen. They, you know, that I knew that they do. Well, but it depends on the state, right? Yeah. Florida. Oh, there you go. Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So guess what? Arlie was an alcoholic just like Frank and a womanizer. Pattern. But this time, it was Nanny that would disappear for long periods of time. But when she would come back, she would be the perfect little housewife. Hmm. Hmm. She was getting her, she was having her cake and eating it too. So she was getting a little on the side, mm-hmm. the way she liked it. Uh-huh. And then she'd go home to this alcoholic. Right. So why even marry Arlie? Yeah. So in 1950, Arlie died from heart failure and everyone supported poor Nanny, the grieving widow. But Arlie left the house he and Nanny were living in to his sister. Oh, he, he's not playing. After the funeral, Nanny packed up her TV and the house and the house somehow burned down. <laughs> she did a if I can't, you're no one else can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Nanny actually went to stay with Arlie's mom in a nearby town. And when the insurance check for the fire came in, it was made out to Arlie. And by Will, his sister, um, and then Arlie's mom mysteriously passed away, and Nanny illegally cashed in the insurance check. Hmm. While even though it was a heart attack that killed Arlie, you know, everyone. Yeah. I mean, everyone thought it was a heart attack that killed Arlie. It was really the poison Nanny had been adding to his food. Mm-hmm. So was she slow? She was slow. Uh, it wasn't like a big, like her mm-hmm. last husband, like F you. Uh-huh. Okay. So since Nanny's house burned down, she moved in with her bed and bed ridden sister, Debbie Francis Hazel Weaver. Not long after Nanny moved in, Debbie passed away. Oh my God. Okay, tell me at this point, somebody's like, wait a minute. No, right? No? No. Okay, Mm -hmm. we're still miles away from that. Got it. So, Nanny was never one to be alone, so she joined a dating service called the Diamond Circle Club, 
Bougie. The Diamond Circle Club. Ooh. I mean, if I was single, that's the one I would join. Absolutely. It costs $15, which Ooh. nowadays would be $155.27. To join? Mm-hmm. Exclusive. Only the best for Nanny. <laughs> Clearly. She met Richard L. Morton from Jamestown, North Carolina. So while Richard was not an alcoholic. Okay, that's good. He was a womanizer. Okay, well. I mean, I guess that's a step up, right? And they got married in 1952 in Emporia, Kansas. Not shortly after that, Richard began spending the night with other women. In January 1953, Nanny's dad passed away, so her mom Lou moved in with Nanny and Richard. And just a couple of days after Lou moved in, she began having stomach pains and died. Oh, God. Three days later, Richard died after drinking a thermos full of coffee spiked with arsenic. Man, she is wildin'. Like, she is straight up no... There's no discrimination who she's doing this to I at think, all. I think she gets off on it. Uh, for sure. That and the sympathy, I'm sure. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry to hear about your father, your mom. Yes, because... Your, all these people, your grandson, your granddaughter, right? And it's all in different cities. Right. So you can't connect them. And this is before internet. This is yeah. before all that shit. So nobody's, like, connecting the dots. And everyone's just assuming she has, like, a really hard life and just yes. really unlucky, essentially. So just just a few months after Richard passed away, Nanny had already moved in with a new man. Enter Samuel Doss. Mm. Samuel was a Nazarene minister who had lost his family in a tornado in Arkansas. Okay, so what's a Nazarene minister? I'm going to tell you because I didn't know. So, Nazarene is an evangelical Christian denomination and a member of the World Methodist Council. Oh, okay. Methodist. Mm -hmm. Got it. So, Samuel was not an alcoholic or a womanizer, so he's a keeper, right? Sounds like it. I mean, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's a minister, so he's probably, like, pretty chill. He's got a normal schedule. You know where he's at on a Sunday morning, you know? Yeah, (laughs) you go find him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, good old Nanny found faults in him anyways. Like, he didn't allow non-educational, non-enlightening TV shows and magazines in the house. He also disliked the romance novels and stories that Nanny loved. Okay, I'm going to say something here. This is something I was thinking about while you were talking about her other crimes is it sounds like she's trying to find a reason to kill these people every time, right? alcoholism easy right that's like a yeah like a righteous anger yes yes, yes, yes. oh i have to have a reason why it makes sense that i kill this person yes so in this case it sounds like it's very much like her father right Uh who's mr no makeup no we don't go anywhere we don't go to church functions we don't do anything because i don't want you to get molested and so same idea here with this guy like oh triggering that dad response and the whole reason he doesn't deserve to live is because he's not allowing me to be me, essentially. Yes. So, it's like, how dare he not allow my romance stories and novels? It's, but you know what? I think what she really wanted was for her life to be just like a romance novel. And nobody's life is going to be like that. No. Not at all. And I don't remember what romance novel you've read recently that then the the woman in it kills all her lovers. 
Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some. I'm just saying most of them, the lovers stay alive. <laughs> they run you, up into the sunset. You know, I read crime and psychological thrillers. So oh, I'm sure. For sure. I'm just saying, you know, like the ones that all our moms used to store underneath the front seat of their cars. Yeah, no. In the front, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and you would like be, what is this? You know? <laughs> so in September, Samuel was hospitalized for flu-like symptoms and diagnosed with a severe digestive tract infection. Mm-hmm. After a successful treatment regimen, he was released from the hospital. He didn't really have a digestive tract infection. He had eaten an arsenic-laced prune cake. And Ugh. when Samuel recovered from his special prune cake, <laughs> Nanny fell on old reliable arsenic in his coffee. I'm sorry. Prune cake? Honey, of all the things you could be poisoning, not something that literally runs directly through the person. I mean... Literally. The pr- I mean, the amount of fiber alone. No wonder he didn't die. I... Right? I, I, I don't... I'm glossing over prune cake. <laughs> Good God. So she's like, eh, I'll just do coffee. I know that works. Yeah. It's not wow. I don't know. So Nanny was eager to collect the non- but not one, but two insurance policies she had taken out Whoa. in Samuel's name. Samuel's death is how Nanny got caught. I would assume with the last name of Doss, I knew we kind of reached the, the yeah, point. We're wrapping this up with a bow. Yeah. So the doctor had treated the doctor that had treated Samuel at the hospital was told that he had died, and he is the one that ordered the autopsy where they found the arsenic in his system, and Nanny was immediately arrested. Thank you, doctor, for finally realizing. <clears throat> So during the interrogation, once they told Nanny she could keep her romance magazines if she confessed. What? Are you shitting me? That was their like, hey, look, we'll let you keep these. That's how into them she was? Yes. Damn. She confessed to killing eight people. Robert, the grandson, Frank, Arlie, Arlie's mom, Debbie, her sister, Lou, her mom, Richard, and Samuel. Jeez. Those are just the ones she confessed to. Eight? Yes. Damn. The bodies were exhumed and autopsies revealed arsenic in the remains of her three husbands and her mom while the rest showed signs of being smothered. She denied having anything to do with her two daughters and granddaughters' deaths. Here's a quote from Nanny during the interrogation. It wasn't the insurance money she was after. I was searching for the perfect mate, the real romance in life. So she, when she wasn't getting it, she was like, eh, I'm just going to cut ties and move on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's this other thing out there. It starts with a D and ends with a divorce. What is it? What is it? Divorce, everybody. Fucking divorce. Murder's never the answer. Fucking get a divorce. Murder's never the answer. I don't know why... 25 to life sounds better than a three-year painful divorce. And then you move on with your fucking life. I don't understand this. Eh, you know, I'm just going to fucking poison everybody around me. That's that's your option. That's where your brain goes. Well, okay. So you, you're, so we're probably all thinking she was fucking crazy, right? Oh, I think, mm, I'm going to leave my, my opinion out. C- continue. Well, she was declared sane by four psychiatrists. Exactly. That was what I was going to say. She knew what she was doing. 
And so she pled guilty to murder. Good. Mur murder, murder. <laughs> I can't talk. Murder. I, I was feeling sick this morning and quite heavy, and then I had the mimosa. So sorry, I'm a little. <laughs> because she was a woman, she was spared the death penalty, and instead she was sentenced to life May 17th, 1955. Okay. She was nicknamed the Giggling Granny because of all the smiling and giggling she did while discussing her crimes with the authorities. She blamed her murderous tendencies on the head injury from when she was a child. Mm. Um, before her arrest, Nanny had already found husband number six in North Carolina, a farmer named John H. Keel, and even sent him a cake. God bless that poor man. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Keel. <laughs> Go buy yourself a lottery ticket. Seriously. Nanny died of leukemia on June 2nd, 1965 in the hospital of the Oklahoma State Penitentiary and buried in the Oak Hill Memorial Park Cemetery in McAllister, Oklahoma. Damn, she didn't survive long at all. From 19, 10 years in prison. Wow. May 17th, 1955 to June 2nd, 1965. So she was, the reason why she's called the Giggling Granny is because she was giggling while she was telling the police about her crimes? Uh-huh. Damn. The Bluebeard one, though. Did she have, like, a massive thing of chin hair? Like, what is that? You know what I mean? Because, like, I, like, to me, that brings up, like, Blackbeard, the pirate. Like, super intense, I light my beard on fire kind of guy, right? But <laughs> this Bluebeard... What does that even mean? You know, like in the context of this, that's fascinating. I'm Googling it. Here we go. Live search on the Google. Nothing. Mm -mm. It just says she was called that. That's fascinating. But the giggling. Probably because she's from Blue Mountains in Alabama. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could be it. Something to do with it. If you know, let us know. Because that's... I'm. I'm I mean, I could probably enough. find it, but we'll take up a lot of time. Yeah. No and way. a lot of, like, silence. Which everybody loves on a podcast. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I love it when that happens. So, is that, that's the story of Nanny Doss? That's the story of Nanny Doss. So, she's killed a confirmed eight that we know of. That she confessed to. That she but, confessed to. You know, she also killed her two daughters. And a granddaughter. Do you think she would have confessed to it based on, like, how she liked attention? Or do you think that that was one of those things where she didn't want to be viewed as a total monster? So she's like, look, I'll confess to these two, these eight, because that makes sense. But the kids and stuff, she was like, mm. Yes. Oh, and the grandson. But see, that's it. But she confessed to the grandson. So oh, why? she did confess to the grandson. So yeah. I, maybe she would have said. I, I don't know. I really, I mean, as a mom. I can't see the kids being fine one minute and then being dead the next minute from food poisoning. Not that quickly. Mm -mm. You know, like, I mean, no. food poisoning can be days or weeks of like, yeah. ugh, you just yeah. feel like trash. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We'd have to know that her psychology more to kind of get a read on what her driving, her, her force was that made her, well, she's saying it's like, I want the perfect life and shit. And which explains why she killed her mom as soon as she moved in. Mm -hmm. She was like, this isn't part of my perfect life. Get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. But then why Robert? Or she could have blamed her mom for her dad. Oh, yeah. Because allegedly it was not her biological father. 
but she was still forced to live with him and live in that, that shit world. life. Yeah. That dumpster fire life. Oh, damn. Manny Doss, man. Boop, boop. Great job. It's fascinating. Yeah, I've, I'm glad, so glad you did her. Because, like, I've had her on my list, too. It was like, I'll get to her eventually, you know. But I'm like, eh, there's other people that I'm really interested in. So I do them first. So I'm glad you did her. Hell, yeah. That's Nanny Dawes. What are you going to do to bring us up? I am going to do someone I should have done a long time ago. And honestly, like, I'm really excited to do her. Mm-hmm. Today's star mom is Michelle McNamara. Oh. You know who that is? Yes, I do. Do I know who that is? Right. It's one of our true kind moms. She is. Michelle McNamara, if you don't know, is one of the, the four people who was on the who were on the forefront of the true crime podcasting, blogs, um, news articles of the most recent true crime like wave. Um, and for those that don't know, and, and I myself am learning about this too, true crime fans, this isn't a recent occurrence, okay? Like you can go back to like axe murderers in the United States from the early teens and like the 1890s and shit. And there were people there at the crime scenes, like literally taking cups and forks and, you know, pieces of clothing because they're, they wanted to be, oh, this is from the murderer and this is from the crime. And so true crime fans have been around for a minute. Okay. So holla, we're in good company. Miss... Michelle McNamara is, she's incredible. Let's get into her. Um, I just want to start with this one thing that just, when I was doing the research, it really kind of hit a nerve for me is, you don't know how many lives you touch. And then that goes for her and everybody else. So this is an SP a little bit because we're going to talk about a little bit about sexual assault because of, for obvious reasons. Let's start with Joseph D'Angelo Jr. who was born... November 8th, 1945, and killed at least 13 people, committed 50 rapes and 150 burglaries, burglaries, can't say that word, all over the state of California between 1974 and 1986. I mean, you're kind of supposed to be lifting us up and you're kind of taking us. Taking us down, y'all. Don't worry. I'm going to lift us up at the end. Don't worry. He was known as, is known, unfortunately, this fucker's still alive, and Vesalia Ransactor. Sacker, East Area Rapist, East Side Rapist, East Bay Rapist, Diamond Knot Killer, Night Stalker, Original Night Stalker, Erons, and the Golden State Killer. On June 29th, uh, 2020, he pled guilty as part of his plea bargain, which spared him the death penalty to 13 counts of murder and kidnapping. And in August 2020, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole, and he's rotting there now, and I hope he dies very quickly. A very painful death. So why am I talking about that piece of shit? First off, is because no one would have known this fucker's name and he probably wouldn't have been caught without Michelle McNamara. Michelle was born April 17, 1970, and grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, to a large Irish Catholic family. She was the youngest of six. Wow. Which back then was a very big family. Um, five daughters, one son. Um, her dad was a trial lawyer and her mom was a, was a full-time mom. So it was a good family, you know, like from what I've seen, um, I'm just going to cite some of my sources here. So biography, wiki, New York times, 2018 article by Alexandra Alter, Chicago Tribune, Kathleen, uh, 2021 article and HBO series. I'll be gone in the dark is freaking phenomenal. If you haven't watched it, 
it really tells Michelle's story much better than I'm ever going to be able to. And I got a lot of information from that and highly recommend watching it. Cause you also kind of get a picture of who Michelle was as a person. And she was, she was a really good person. Um, Michelle graduated in 1988 from Oak Park and River Forest High School. And her senior year, she was the editor of their student newspaper. Her love of writing and journalism started at a very young age. A key event in her life made her a true crime fan. Um, I feel like most of us have these stories of how we kind of get into this world. Hers was when Kathleen Lombardo was murdered in her neighborhood. Kathleen was stabbed to death on August 1st, 1984, when Michelle was 14. Kathleen was jogging in the neighborhood that evening after work. And I think, I believe Kathleen was in her like early 20s. So she was, from what I understand, Kathleen was like still living at home, like kind of getting out on her own, you know, normal shit. Um, Somebody dragged her into an alleyway behind the houses that she was jogging by um, and stabbed her to death um, and sexually assaulted her. Her body was found behind a house in an alley not far from Michelle's home. And Michelle visited that alley crime scene two days after the event um, because she knew Kathleen from church. So very small world. She even touched pieces of the broken Walkman that Kathleen had been wearing when she was assaulted in her hands and felt like this connection, right? You're like, mm-hmm. I want to understand her, this crime, this, this criminal, like all of it. Like she wanted to, it just kind of like touched this like area of curiosity in her. Michelle stated, I traced my obsession to the moment in the alley with the pieces of Walkman when I was 14. Kathy Lombardo was gone. She wasn't coming back, but he, whomever he was, was still out there. The hollow gap of his identity was violently powerful to me. Michelle graduated from Notre Dame in 1992 when she was 22 with an English major. Oh, she's so smart. She's, yeah, very smart. And then she went on to get an MFA in creative writing from the University of Minnesota in 97. She then moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career in writing for film and TV. So she was, you know, it was one of those things where I'm sure she was a true crime fan the whole time, but she was like, oh, but I'm going to write. She's going to be a writer, you know? So she started reading true crime novels, you know, because that's what you do. And um, she read one that sparked her interest in a particular case. The Golden State Killer. She was reading the self-published book of one of the last cops on the scene on the case, Larry Crompton. And after searching Google, she got in onto an AE um, show message board for cold case files dedicated to the case, where she finally found her people. So during her time in LA, when she was writing and she was doing like um, screenwriting and things like that, she met Patton Oswald in 2003 at one of his comedy shows. Just pure chance she just happened to go, I'm going to go to a comedy show. Um, Both her and Patton are big true crimers, so they hit it off and were married a few years later. Oh, wow. And I didn't know Patton Oswalt was as into true crime as we are, which I love him even more now. Um, He really encouraged her to write about her obsession with serial killers, especially because she was a talented writer. She was like, you have all this incredible talent. At least do it on the side, you know, like kind of get it out there. Yeah. So in 2006, she started True Crime Diary, a website where she started writing about unsolved crimes. Three years later, Michelle and Patton had their daughter, Alice, on April 15th, 2009. Alice, such a cute name. So she's got this true crime blog, and I believe it's still out there, and a lot of people were like, you know, read it, and because she's a talented writer, it's engaging. Yeah. So you're like, ooh. So she's writing about just random true crimes, right? 
The one though that kept like sticking with her was the Golden State Killer, right? She's from California. She was in and around the area when he was doing his work. I guess we can call it, I don't know what to call it. Like what, what would you call like when a serial killer is operating? Like, I don't want to say work because that sounds like no, it's like good. Um, it's not good. His, his uh, spree, his, think about it. Help me find a word um, for it. His, keep going. I'll yeah, go. yeah. Um, so she started to dive a little more deeply into that case through her blog. Um, so let's go back to the 70s and 80s where police districts don't talk to each other and keep crimes from each other because they want to be the first ones to solve the case and be like, we solved it, guys. Way to go us. Instead of going... Holy shit, this guy is just like our guy. When he was active. Active. Thank you. When he was active. So in the 70s and 80s, this led to many more unsolved cases because of the lack of cooperation amongst police offices and counties and districts and whatever else. And of course, DNA evidence also wasn't fully, wasn't there. Yeah. So a lot of times what they did was they would collect it and then just hold it and wait for the technology to catch up, which thank God they did. Right. So when the Golden State Killer case came up to the cold case squad in 2011, they're like, let's use DNA. Hell yeah. I mean, because why not? We have the DNA. Let's figure this out. So instead, what they found out was he was more prolific than they originally thought. D'Angelo was a rapist in Northern California, around 50 women. This is where he got the names of Asalia Ransacker, East Area Rapist, East Side Rapist, East Bay Rapist, etc. Cops thought that this was either multiple people, a nightmare situation, because guess what? Ramirez was active at this time too. Holy shit. And no one really put together this could be the same guy, one yeah. person. Yeah. So once they got the DNA, they realized that he, this person was the guy who was the original Night Stalker down in Southern California, Contra Costa County, where he killed 13 or more people until 1986. His run lasted 12 years that we know of. So once they got all this information, they started connecting the dots. They're like, I think he might be this guy too. And this, this MO is very similar. Or this sounds like him in this way that he's doing this thing. We don't have DNA, but this could be him as well. Because they started going farther and farther back. And there were a couple other like rapes and burglaries in and around Southern California that they couldn't pin to him, but they think he probably did it yeah so again going back to 2011 when they realized this they named him eron's e-a-r-o-n-s putting together east area rapist and original night stalker names to show that he was the one and the same so because this doesn't really roll off the tongue i mean they're cops not writers michelle understand that naming something can take away its power and help others to better understand a case so she named him the golden state killer gsk i'm just going to say gsk from now on it's easier to encompass all the crimes that he committed and to show that the focus should be on one person. And this actually did help the cops start to focus their investigation. Because she put his name back in the spotlight and on her website, she was tapped by uh, Los Angeles Magazine to write an article about him based on her research, which was extensive. So in her research, she was beyond prolific and willing to go super deep into that. Um, she was really an investigative reporter is the best way to put it. Like, so she started to track down what people were wearing when they were murdered or were assaulted by GSK um, and thought maybe someone will sell 
some of the items that they have of the victims if they're not going to keep it. So she went onto eBay, traced down the seller of a um, cufflink that was something that one of the victims was wearing at the time and thought the seller might be the might be the Golden State Killer, you know, thinking, holy shit, they're finally getting rid of some of these things that they've had in their house. It was a dead end. But this is the length that she went into. She was literally scrolling and scrolling through hundreds of pages just of eBay to find this person. Yeah. So she wow. was intense, like going deep into this world. Like, how does she even have the time for that? <laughs> was that like all she did? Did she not have a job? So she, what she would do is she would wake up in the morning, take care of her daughter, get her off to school, come back, do all mom stuff during the day, you know, write as well during the day. And then at night, she would spend the entire night up to two or three in the morning doing this, like going deep into like websites, the dark web, eBay, researching. How do you get to the dark web? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But she was like going in really deep and to try to figure out. And so because of that, this was her life. Her entire life was absorbed by this one case. So you become obsessive because you're like any little clue, any little thing that he said, any little like mention of a name or, oh, he, he used to put plates on the back of the men so they wouldn't move as he was, you know, raping their wife. And then he would come back, eat a sandwich or eat something it was all about power and control. She's yeah. like, okay, well, who would do that? So she started to get into the psyche of this person too, which even just researching these cases, the little that we do for the podcast and can sometimes with your head. Yeah. You know? So she'd even interviewed the witnesses and the survivors of the crime. She tracked them down. She found their phone numbers and be like, hey, I know you don't know me. I really just want you to be able to get your story out there. That's it. Like, I'm not here to like pray off you for clout or to be famous. I really want to understand and help me get your name out there because the victims need to be known yeah. of this monster. So she was always taking special care and attention to let them have their voice. And even if he was never caught, at least they would have someone to speak to about what happened to them. You know, because at the end of the day, the the victim's impact statements are, the, I think, the the most important part of the trial, really. Yeah. I mean, so she got, she dug to the point where she eventually got in touch with our true crime zaddy, Paul Holes, <laughs> which I don't know if you've seen him lately. He's definitely a zaddy for sure. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I have not. I'm hot for Holes. <laughs> so he was still on the force in Contra Costa County at that time and was, it was assigned to the cold case still. So she even volunteered information to, to him that she had found that he didn't even have time to do, hundreds of pages of notes, photos, interviews, etc. So much so that he was like, okay, I'll go with you on this and I'll give you information, which is unheard of. Cops don't do that shit. Yeah. Ongoing investigation, cold or not, they're going to be like, button, right? So this all was culminating in her 2013 LA Magazine article where she wrote about GSK stating that he was a Caucasian male, tall, blue, or hazel eyes, high-pitched voice, hoping to shake the trees and get someone to state that they knew him or rung a bell, something. She also toured the locations of one of the victim's friends who got um, the Golden State Killer calls, but was never visited by him. So she got those like weird calls before. Yeah. Thank God, right? 
So I told you like how he would kind of do his MO. Um, in the article for LA Magazine, she states, for digital sleuths, a killer who remains a question mark holds more menace than a Charles Manson or Richard Ramirez. However twisted the grins of those killers, however wild the eyes, we can at least stare solidly at them, knowing that evil has a shape and an expression and can be locked behind bars. Until we put a face on, the psycho on a psychopath like the Golden State Killer, he will continue to hold sway over us. He will remain a powerful cipher who triumphs by being just out of reach. I love her writing. Paul Hole stated that her dogged persistence and trustworthiness with sensitive information about GSK cases earned her an unusual level of co cooperation from law enforcement officials, including himself, which it sure shit did. She eventually petitioned to get all the case files for the case to write other articles, and she got 20 plus boxes of information. Oh, wow. Well. This was like her Christmas, right? She yeah, was like, yeah, yeah, yes, you know? Eventually, she had to hire a research assistant, Paul Haynes, to help with going through all of it. So now let's head to Texas in 2014, South by Southwest Festival, where Michelle met Billy Jensen, true crime investigative journalist, and an interactive panel called, I love this name, Citizen Dicks, Solving Murders with Social Media. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they became fast friends, because how could you not? They're basically to the same person, yeah. you know? She found another person that shared her obsession and their lifelong friends. Michelle's obsession with the case wasn't just for likes or followers, but she wanted to bring justice to the families of the victims. So on her second article in 2014, she was offered a book deal about the case from Harper Collins. So now the obsession became her entire life plus a deadline. So the stakes are upped quite a bit. Plus, she has all these boxes of information from the cops that she has to go through and comb through. And we're talking meticulous. She's looking at every word, every photo, like scouring it all. She's trying to leave no stone unturned here, right? Um, so again, mom all day, do this all night, researching, writing, interviewing, going through boxes of case files that led to her suffering from insomnia and anxiety. I mean... Yeah. That's... Well, that's my life. <laughs> that's true. It is your life. <laughs> You're like, yeah, and? <laughs> and there's a problem with that. <laughs> people, there's people that don't have that. There's people that sleep once they go to bed. What? Weirdo. <laughs> it doesn't take some magical combination of some sort of pills to make you sleep. No. She once almost hit Patton in the face with the lamp in the middle of the night when he was tiptoeing, trying to not wake her to get in the room. And I'm sorry, when you fill your head with what the Golden State Killer used to do to like sneak into houses, yeah, you're going to be on high alert. You're going to be like, oh my God, right? Yeah. So she started to take pills to regulate herself so she could keep researching to solve the case. She had overloaded her mind with information with very dark implications, Patton said. Sarah Stannard, one of her close friends, said that. Quote, she fell down a wormhole. She had a room full of banker's boxes of files she was going through. It wasn't uncommon for her to not leave the house for days. She said she told me, um, and she told me she'd have a survivor or victim's family calling and emailing her every day. Above all, she wanted justice for them. So Michelle was almost done writing her book when in 20, um, on April 21st, 2016, she didn't wake up. Patton tried to wake her and couldn't, so he called an ambulance immediately. 
Turns out that she was dead at the age of 46 and her autopsy revealed that she had undiagnosed heart disease and the effects of multiple prescription drugs, including Adderall, Xanax, and fentanyl all contributed to her death. There were other pills in her system as well, but those were some of the ones that she was taking just to live, like so she could keep researching, so she could keep interviewing, so she could keep going with this book. Her death was ruled an accidental overdose, which, yeah, obviously. Patton had no idea that her level of drug use was going on. He said that she was stressed about her book deadline and being so engrossed in a case that is so terrifying. It's it's bound to take a toll on anybody. So he was thinking, okay, she's just really focused. And like he knew she was taking Adderall. He knew that he had to pick up some of her prescriptions every once in a while. But he didn't realize that she was also getting prescriptions from other doctors and then was taking those and like, and I can see how this can happen. I really, really can. And it's kind of one of those things where like, how do you not know you're her husband? So here's the thing. If you don't want someone to know something, you can hide it, even if it's your spouse. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is like. That's how addiction works. Exactly. And I don't think she knew that she was this far in either. I don't think she even took a moment to realize, holy shit, I'm, I'm in this deep with my addiction. Right. Like, cause I think she was so focused, laser focused on the Golden State Killer and doing her book and everything that she just didn't even, she was just thinking, I'm just going to do this for now. I'm going to get my book done. And then I'm going to go back to like a somewhat normal life. Right. Like, yeah. So it's really awful. Um, so Patton was nothing but supportive through the entire process. Of course, he would take Alice out during the day if she needed to write. He helped um, Michelle in the mornings, like make coffee for whatever she needed. Like he was a very supportive, good husband, to be honest. Um, it wasn't until the day that she died that he realized that she was using prescription medication to cope. Quote, it's so clear that the stress led her to make some bad choices in terms of the pharmaceuticals she was using, he said. She just took this stuff on and she didn't have the years of being a hardened detective to compartmentalize it. She didn't, you know. So what about her book? What about all that stuff, right? Patton could and would not stand to not have her book published. He's like, this, it absolutely needs to be published. Well, it literally killed her. Yeah. Finished or not, her voice needs to be out there too, right? If anything, I feel like she's another victim of the Golden State Killer. Yeah. You know? So he kept Paul Haynes, her research assistant, on, hired Billy Jensen, and they all three helped finish the book. So they took what she had. Um, they used some of, like, the finished chapters they left alone. Other chapters, it was just, like, an interview between her and Paul Holes. Like, they just kind of, like, piecemealed it. And they tried to keep the book as a tribute of sorts to help her to help her voice get out there and what she wanted to do. While it is a coincidence, the year after her death in 2017, California opened up a task force to try to find GSK once and for all. I think the publicity of her death, her book, and the true crime community really puts more pressure on the cops to try to solve the case. Yeah. Let's be real. April 2018, which I'm going to side note this. There are so many April references in this. She was born in April. Alice was born in April. She died in April. Her book was released in April. Like all of these things, it's really weird. I don't know if that has any significance, but you know, with astrology and shit that we're into and crystals, I'm just like, why is April showing up so much here? Golden State Killer. God, it's so crazy. So anyway, 
Let's get into it. April 2018, outside his home in California, Joseph D'Angelo Jr. was arrested for the murders and rapes of the Golden State Killer based on familial DNA that was taken from his trash. Paul Holes was the one with an FBI investigator who uploaded his DNA into the database to finally catch him. Patton stated that this would have never happened had Michelle not been on a public crusade to find justice. I agree with that completely. Yes. Her book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer, came out February 17th, 2018, literally a month before he was caught. Insane. And of course, the HBO documentary came out in June 2020. Um, Because of this HBO documentary, Kathy Lombardo's case has gained new interest by law enforcement. In fact, um, I'm sure Michelle would have been completely proud of the fact that not only did she help find the Golden State Killer, now we're talking about another cold case that I'm sure she would have probably turned her attention to again. Yeah. You know? One of Kathleen's brothers, Dominic, said that there may not be an active investigation going on right now, but law enforcement agencies never completely close the door on cold cases like this one until it's solved. I remain convinced that there is at least one someone, possibly more than one, still out there wrestling with his or her conscience, possibly living in fear. I pray that he, she may have the courage to do the right thing today by picking up the phone and calling Cooks County State's Attorney's Office, Oak Park Police Department, um, on the anonymous tip line of 708-434-1636. I'm going to definitely give that out because please, please do. And giving both agencies complete, truthful, up-to-the-minute information as to the name and current whereabouts of the perpetrator of this crime. So while it is an awful and sad story of like Michelle being eaten alive essentially by this horrible person, she touched so many lives. Like they did an update when he was sentenced and he had to say yes to, did you commit? Yes. Did you? Yes. Like mm-hmm. every single one. Yeah. And all the victims are there because it's like 2020, they all have masks on, but it was just like so powerful because you just see that they're like, finally, finally, this fucker's behind bars. Yeah. And a lot of them on the documentary did say, you know, Michelle, like helped us so much just get from here to here. You know, it's just a huge jump. So I had to highlight her. I had to talk about her. I can't believe we haven't done her yet. I was like, why have we done Michelle? So that's Michelle. Yay. Yay. A true crime mom, really. Yeah. Looking down from us. Yeah. Hi, Michelle. So sorry I had to take you down, but she's just incredible. Yeah. That's my, that's the episode. <laughs> I don't know how to end it now. Yeah, I <laughs> um, So thank you all so much for listening to us. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.